Keeping on with this roll, time doesn't especially mean anything, yada yada. It is 3.13 a.m. Saturday, April the 18th, uh, and it is one day past the first month of quarantine of what, as you may be hearing this, uh... If you are not my one of my future selves listening back on this or a family member uh, or close friend, I hope and I do hope in all of those cases that you are well and safely quarantined. But uh, I hope that you are doing okay in whatever month it is when and if you're hearing this. I'm using this podcast primarily to be audiobooking public domain fiction now that people have time to read uh, and because I take great pleasure in it. But uh, I'm doing audiobooking of stuff that people have not... Trust me, because I'm widely read and voracious reader uh, that I am the story that uh, that I hit record to actually record is from the enormous uh, canon of non-Sherlock Holmes fiction by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which is excellent. And if I'm doing nothing else with this podcast, then keeping myself anchored. Uh, thank you, Anchor, for being awesome and letting anyone podcast for free and distribute and connect as easily as you can. Anchor.fm. Check them out if you have something uh, worth saying or if it amuses you to do so, whatever. Uh, I said find me on Twitter, at time of posting, Arthur Conan Doyle. This collection was published in 26, I think. So, 1926. So, the story, which is the third of his horror story collection on Project Gutenberg, uh, which will be linked to the podcast description if you want to actually read it without my diversions and essaying. Uh, And you can get it in different formats, including on Kindle format through Gutenberg. So uh, enjoy that if uh, that's how you would like to enter the new catacomb. Look here, Berger, said Kennedy. I do wish that you would confide in me. Great opening line. The two famous students of Roman remains sat together in Kennedy's comfortable room overlooking the Corso, and that is uh, C.O. R-S-O location. What country is this taking place in? Um, doesn't matter. It's taking place there. Uh, the night was cold and they had both pulled up their chairs to the uns... Okay. Maybe it's an Italian type stove, but it sounds... Oh, and... Idiot, they just said Rome. Okay, please excuse me, it's 3.18 in the a.m. And I'm on this roll, so I'm doing at least the first chunk of this story. Unsatisfactory Italian stove, which threw out a zone of stuffiness rather than of warmth. Outside under the bright winter stars lay the modern Rome, the long double chains of the electric lamps, 
the brilliantly lighted cafes, the rushing carriages, and the dense throng upon the footpaths. But inside, in the sumptuous chamber of the rich young English archaeologist, back when that was a thing you could do and make, that those four words could go together in that order, rich young English archaeologist, there was only old Rome to be seen. Cracked and time-worn friezes hung upon the walls, gray old busts of senators and soldiers with their fighting heads and their hard, cruel faces peered out from the corners. On the center table, amidst a litter of inscriptions, fragments, and ornaments, there stood the famous reconstruction by Kennedy of the Baths of Caracalla, or Carasala, whatever, which excited such interest and admiration when it was exhibited in Berlin. Amphorae, which uh, Amphora is like a uh, uh, serving jug, yeah, uh, jar with two handles and a narrow neck, so there are multiple of them hanging from the ceiling, and a litter of curiosities strewed the rich red turkey carpet. It's made out of turkeys. And of them all, there was not one which was not of the most unimpeachable authenticity and of the utmost rarity and value. For Kennedy, though little more than 30, had a European reputation in this particular branch of research and was, moreover, provided with that long purse which either proves to be a fatal handicap to the student's energies, or if his mind is still true to its purpose, gives him an enormous advantage in the race for fame. Kennedy had either had often been seduced by whim and pleasure uh, from his studies, but his mind was an incisive one, capable of long and concentrated efforts, which ended in sharp reactions of sensuous languor. His handsome face, with its high white forehead, its aggressive nose, and its somewhat loose and sensual mouth, was a fair index of the compromise between strength and weakness in his nature. Of a very different type was his companion, Julius Berger, who was made all out of a burger, just like the carpet was made of turkey. He came of a curious blend, a German father and an Italian mother, with the robust qualities of the North. Also, this was written by a Victorian mindsetted guy, so there are things of uh, different assumptions and some stuff like this about, uh, you know, qualities of races being read in someone's features and stuff. Uh, so that's going on. And like I've said before, unless there are direct racial epithets, I'm just reading this stuff uh, with my asides, uh, reading it just as it is. He came of a, uh, with the robust qualities of the North, mingling strangely with the softer graces of the South. Blue Teutonic eyes lightened his sun-browned face. Makes me think of Captain Blood. Uh, terrific novel. Uh, if you're looking for things to read right now, uh, that is a genuine page-turner um, in the most literal sense when you get going on that book. Uh, above them rose a square, massive forehead with a fringe of close yellow curls lying round it. His strong, firm jaw was clean-shaven, and his companion had frequently remarked how much it suggested those old Roman busts 
which peered out from the shadows in the corners of his chamber. Under its bluff German strength, there lay always a suggestion of Italian subtlety, but the smile was so honest and the eyes so frank that one understood that this was only an indication of his ancestry, with no actual bearing upon his character. In age and in reputation, he was on the same level his, as his English companion, but his life and his work had both been far more arduous. Twelve years before, he had come as a poor student to Rome, and had lived ever since upon some small endowment for research, which had been awarded to him by the University of Bonn. Painfully, slowly, and doggedly, with extraordinary tenacity and single-mindedness, he had climbed from rung to rung of the ladder of fame. Uh, until now, he was a member of the Berlin Academy. He had a verified account and four million followers on Facebook. Famous dude. And there was every reason to believe that he would shortly be promoted to the chair of the greatest of German universities. But the singleness of purpose, which had brought him to the same high level as the rich and brilliant Englishman, had caused him in everything outside their work to stand infinitely below him. He had never found a pause in his studies in which to cultivate the social graces. It was only when he spoke of his own subject that his face was filled with life and soul. At other times he was silent and embarrassed, too conscious of his own limitations in larger subjects, and impatient of that small talk which is the conventional refuge... Refuge... Damn it. Conventional refuge. If you say a word too many times, it stops meaning anything. Conventional refuge of the... The last refuge of the something. What is that phrase? Conventional refuge of those who have no thoughts to express is the last refuge. Damn it. Last refuge of the incompetent. I think this is Asimov. Yeah. Violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. Um... incompetent, with no thoughts to express. And yet, for some years, there had been an acquaintanceship which appeared to be slowly ripening into a friendship between these two very different rivals. The base and origin of this lay in the fact that their own studies each were the only one, was the only one of... Oh, this is a stupid long sentence. Uh... The origin of this, the friendship, lay in the fact that in their own studies, comma should be there. Each was the only one of the younger men. It's a really bad sentence, the construction here. The only one of the younger men who had knowledge and enthusiasm enough to properly appreciate the other. Their common interests and pursuits had brought them together, and each had been attracted by the other's knowledge. And then gradually, something had been added to this. Kennedy had been amused by the frankness and simplicity of his rival, while Berger, in turn, had been fascinated by the brilliancy and vivacity which had made Kennedy such a favorite with the U in Roman society. I say had, because just at the moment the young Englishman was somewhat under a cloud. A love affair, the details of which had never quite come out, had indicated a heartlessness and callousness upon his part, which shocked many of his friends. But in the bachelor circles of students and artists, in which he preferred to move, there is no very rigid code of honor in such matters, and though a head might be shaken or a pair of shoulders shrugged over the flight of two and the return of one, the general sa- I'm sorry. 
the flight of two and the return of one. The general sentiment was probably one of curiosity and perhaps of envy rather than reprobation. Because what, he got away with it? Look here, Berger, said Kennedy, looking hard at the placid face of his companion. I do wish that you would confide in me. As he spoke, he waved his hand in the direction of a rug which lay upon the floor. On the rug stood a long, shallow fruit basket of the light wicker work which is used in the Campania, and this was heaped with a litter of objects, inscribed tiles, broken inscriptions, cracked mosaics, torn papyri, plural of papyrus, rusty metal ornaments, which, to the uninitiated, might have seemed to come straight from a dustman's bin, but which a specialist would have speedily recognized as unique of their kind. The pile of odds and ends in the flat wickerwork basket supplied exactly one of the missing links of, so of social development which are of such interest to the student. It was the German who had brought them in, and the Englishman's eyes were hungry as he looked at them. And not at, you know, his friend named Berger. I won't interfere with your treasure trove, but just realized at the store if they still have meat or if I can get Beyond Burger. Because um, those are good if they haven't run out of all meat at the store now. Who knows? Um... Hungry, with a craving for burger. I won't interfere with your treasure trove, but I should very much like to hear about it, he continued, while Burger very deliberately lit a cigar. It is evidently a discovery of the first importance. These inscriptions will make a sensation throughout Europe. For every one here, there are a million there, said the German. There are so many that a dozen savants might spend a lifetime over them and build up a reputation as solid as the castle of St. Angelo, which I'm not going to Google, but I'm sure you can. Kennedy sat thinking with his fine forehead wrinkled and his fingers playing with his long, fair mustache. You have given yourself away, Berger, said he at last. Your words can only apply to one thing. You've discovered a new catacomb. I had no doubt that you had already come to that conclusion from an examination of these objects. Well, they certainly appeared to indicate it, but your last remarks make it certain. There's no place except a catacomb which could contain so vast a store of relics as you describe. Quite so. There's no mystery about that. I have discovered a new catacomb. Where? And as he starts to... No, we still got time. Uh, but before we go and have a little time left on the desk, but... <sighs> a number of lifetimes ago... Uh, like at least three or four. Uh, <laughs> I was doing Latin in high school and we had a school trip to Italy of, a, you know, the two classrooms worth of people doing Latin and felt at the time really happy and excited and privileged to have that experience. But now with the world suddenly being what it now is, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's a long time before anyone who hasn't been in one is going to go into a catacomb. But uh, among memories that I have of what I know are uh, lucky 
opportunities to travel. Uh, we went to a catacomb and even with the guide, they did say like, don't wander off, don't whatever. And it was a cold, weird place. And I'm sure Conan Doyle is about to treat us all to uh, the next best thing to VR. You know, a really good, compelling story. So, where is this catacomb? Ah, that is my secret, my dear Kennedy. Suffice it that it is so situated that there is not one chance in a million of anyone else coming upon it. Its date is different from that of any known catacomb, and it has been reserved for the burial of the highest Christians, so that the remains and the relics are quite different from anything which has ever been seen before. If I was not aware of your knowledge and of your energy, my friend, I would not hesitate, under the pledge of secrecy, to tell you everything about it. But as it is, I think that I must certainly prepare my own report on the matter before I expose myself to such formidable competition. Kennedy loved his subject with a love which was almost a mania, a love which had held him true to it, amidst all the distractions which come to a wealthy and dissipated young man. He had ambition, but his ambition was secondary to his mere abstract joy and interest in everything which concerned the old life and history of the city. He yearned to see this new underworld which his companion had discovered. Look here, Berger, said he earnestly. I assure you that you can trust me most implicitly in the matter. Nothing would induce me to put pen to paper about anything which I see until I have your express permission. Ha. I quite understand your feeling, and I think it is most natural, but you've really nothing whatever to fear from me. On the other hand, if you don't tell me, I shall make a systematic search, and I shall most certainly discover it. In that case, of course, I should make what use I like of it, since I should be under no obligation to you. Berger smiled thoughtfully over his cigar. And I seriously, I made a note, but I will need to get Berger stuff tomorrow. Uh, and also, fucking foreseeable future, I'm not going to be getting anything takeout or that is deli- that is uh, prepared by hands that are not my own or in my line of sight. So, unfortunately, while everything is delivering, I can't. So I shall make my own burgers. Um, I have noticed, friend Kennedy, said he, that when I want information over any point, uh, you are not always so ready to supply it. When did you ever ask me anything that I did not tell you? You remember, for example, my giving you the material for your paper about the Temple of the Vestals? Ah, well, that was not a matter of much importance. If I were to question you upon some intimate thing, would you give me an answer, I wonder? This new catacomb is a very intimate thing to me, and I should certainly expect some sign of confidence in return. What you are driving at I cannot imagine, said the Englishman. But if you can mean that you will answer my question about the catacomb, if I answer any question which you may put to me, I can assure you that I will certainly do so. Well then, said Berger, leaning luxuriously back in his settee and puffing a blue tree of cigar smoke into the air, tell me all about your relations with Miss Mary Saunderson. Kennedy sprang up in his chair and glared angrily at his impassive companion. What the devil do you mean, he cried. What sort of a question is this? You may mean it as a joke, but you never made a worse one. Germans just don't make good jokes. No, 
I didn't mean it as a joke, said Berger, simply. I am really rather interested in the details of the matter. I don't know much about the world and women and social life and that sort of thing. And I'm not going to, I was not going to try to do a German accent or voice, but uh, this is an interesting character. The And 1926, so uh, whatever their feelings from after World War One, uh, the... Germans were still seen in a different light and as a, you know, high civilization at that point, which, uh, you know, the studious German that he's painting. It's interesting. Um, Because, you know, for like, whatever, 70 years, whatever, after World War II, you can't till Jojo Rabbit phenomenally uh it's like and inglorious bastards and a few things between those two points like every german has to be a nazi in every depiction of you know like or they all have to be secret nazis because germans uh between 1945 and 2009 you know um don't know much about life, that sort of thing. And such an incident has the fascination of the unknown for me, because porn isn't a thing back then. I know you, and I knew her by sight. I had even spoken to her once or twice. I should very much like to hear from your own lips exactly what it was which occurred between you. I won't tell you a word. That's all right. It was only my whim to see if you would give up a secret as easily as you expected me to give up my secret of the new catacomb. You wouldn't, and I didn't expect you to. But why should you expect otherwise of me? There's St. John, or bing, bing, there's St. John's clock striking ten. It is quite time that I was going home. And we are coming up on 28 minutes of the 30 they give me. It is three 40 a.m. Uh, so, unless it ditches this audio, and I hope it doesn't start doing that again, uh, like with the horror at the heights, I'm going to keep on with the role. I'm going to keep on with the story, maybe till dawn or after, and I'll wake up whenever I do after I eventually lie down. See you on the other side of the transition sound. And we're back. It is quarter to 4 a.m. And I might just go through the story up into the dawn. I think I just said that on the tape before I cut it, but... I am going on fumes after all, and we are going into the catacomb, which strikes me uh, as perhaps a crude uh, entendre, if not necessarily a double, Uh, however that works. Dun, dun, dun. Um, there we go. Quite time that I was going home. No, wait a bit, Burger," said Kennedy. This is real. When were burgers a thing? I'm sure this was not meant as funny uh, at that time. But uh, note to self for later. Uh, look up when... Burgers, um, said Kennedy, this is really a ridiculous caprice uh, of yours. It's a word you don't hear out loud often, but it means a sudden and unaccountable change of mood or behavior or just a whim, you know. 
um, sort of bratty is a bit of what that word means. Um, a ridiculous caprice of yours to wish to know about an old love affair which is burned out months ago. You know we look upon a man who kisses and tells as the greatest coward and villain possible. Certainly, said the German, gathering up his basket of curiosities. When he tells anything about a girl which is previously unknown, he must be so. But in this case, as you must be aware, it was a public matter which was the common talk of Rome, so that you're not really doing Miss Mary Saunderson any injury by discussing her case with me. But still, I respect your scruples, and so, good night. I like this. <laughs> Wait a bit, Burger, said Kennedy, laying his hand upon the other's arm. I am very keen upon this. Just thinking like Bert and Ernie and It's a Wonderful Life, it would be funny if, uh, if Kennedy, by sheer coincidence, you know, his name was Fries or Fries or something. Burger and Fries would be too, too funny. Um, I'm very keen upon this catacomb business, and I can't let it drop quite so easily. Would you mind asking me something else in return? Something not quite so eccentric this time? Uh, yeah, hang on. Just checking. Um, no, no, you have refused, and there is an end of it, said Berger, with his basket on his arm. No doubt you are quite right not to answer, and no doubt I am quite right also. And so again, my dear Kennedy, good night. The Englishman watched Berger cross the room, Tris, and he had his hand on the handle of the door before his host sprang up with the air of a man who is making the best of that which cannot be helped. Hold on, old fellow. I think you're behaving in a most ridiculous fashion. But still, if this is your condition, I suppose that I must submit to it. I... I hate saying anything, you know, about a girl, but as you say, it's all over Rome, and I don't suppose I can tell you anything which you don't know already. What was it you wanted to know? The German came back to the stove, and laying down his basket, he sank into his chair once more. May I have another cigar? said he. Thank you very much. I never smoke when I work, but I enjoy a chat much more when I am under the influence of tobacco. Sherlock Holmes style. Uh, there we go. Now, as regards this young lady with whom you had this little adventure, what in the world has become of her? She is at home with her own people. Oh, really? In England? Yes. What part of England? London? No, Twickenham. You must excuse my curiosity, my dear Kennedy, and you must put it down to my ignorance of the world. No doubt it is quite a simple thing to persuade a young lady to go off with you for three weeks or so, and then to hand her over to her own family at, what did you call the place? Twickenham. Quite so. At Twickenham? Or maybe, from a German pronunciation, that might be Twickenham. I don't know. Might be. But it is something so entirely outside my own experience that I cannot even imagine how you set about it. For example, if you had loved this girl, you lo your love could hardly disappear in three weeks. So I presume that you could not have loved her at all. But if you did not love her... Why should you make this great scandal which has damaged you and ruined her? Kennedy looked moodily into the red eye of the stove. That's a logical way of looking at it, certainly. Love is a big word, and it represents a good many different shades of feeling. I liked her, and, well, you say you've seen her. You know how charming she could look. 
But still, I'm willing to admit, looking back, that I could never have really loved her. Then, my dear Kennedy, why did you do it? The adventure of the thing had a great deal to do with it. What? You're so fond of adventures? Where would the variety of life be without them? It was for an adventure that I first began to pay my attentions to her. I've chased a good deal of game in my time, but there's no chase like that of a pretty woman. I think I've said on the same tape, but I'm reading them as they are. Yada yada. Disclaimer. Needs to be boilerplate right at the beginning, along with the Twitter handle and the rest of the uh, beginning stuff. You know, side of pejorative, just reading things with the assumptions and moods of the character and the game. But there's no chase like that of a pretty woman. There was the piquant difficulty of it also, for as she was the companion of Lady Emily Rood, R-O-O-D, it was almost impossible to see her alone. On the top of all the other obstacles which attracted me, I learned from her own lips, very early in the proceedings, that she was engaged. Mein Gott, to whom? She mentioned no names. I do not think that anyone knows that. So that made the adventure more alluring, did it? Well, it did give a certain spice to it. Don't you think so? I tell you that I am very ignorant about these things. My dear fellow, you can remember that the apple you stole from your neighbor's tree was always sweeter than that which fell from your own. And that I found that, and then I found that she cared for me. What at once? Oh no! It took about three months of sapping and mining, but at last I won her over. She understood that my judicial separation from my wife made it impossible for me to do the right thing by her, but she came all the same, and we had a delightful time as long as it lasted. But how about the other man? Kennedy shrugged his shoulders. I suppose it is the survival of the fittest," said he. "If he had been the better man, she would not have deserted him. Let's drop the subject, for I've had enough of it. Only one other thing: How did you get rid of her in three weeks? Well, we had both cooled down a bit. You understand? She absolutely refused, under any circumstances. To come back to face the people she had known in Rome. Now, of course, Rome is necessary to me, and I was already pining to be back at my work. So there was only one obvious cause of separation. Then again, her old father turned up at the hotel in London, and there was a scene, and the whole thing just became so unpleasant that it was really. Though I missed her dreadfully at first. I was very glad to slip out of it. Now, I rely upon you not to repeat anything of what I have said, my dear Kennedy. I should not dream of repeating it, but all that you say interests me very much, for it gives me an insight into your way of looking at things, which is entirely different from mine. For I have seen so little of life, and now you want to know about my new catacomb. There's no use my trying to describe it, for you would never find it by that. There is only one thing, and that is for me to take you there. That would be splendid. When would you like to come? The sooner the better. I am all impatience to see it. Well, it is a beautiful night, though a trifle cold. Suppose we start in an hour. We must be very careful to keep the matter to ourselves. If anyone saw us hunting in couples, they would suspect that there was something going on. We can't be too cautious," said Kennedy. "Is it far? Some miles. Not too far to walk. Oh no, we could walk there easily. And just for the story and for whatever, they're going to be talking quietly because secrecy."
uh, walk there. We had better do so then. A cabman's suspicions would be aroused if he dropped us both at some lonely spot in the dead of night. Quite so. I think it would be best for us to meet at the gate of the Appian Way at midnight. I must get back to my lodgings for the matches and candles and things. All right, Berger. I think it is very kind of you to let me into this secret, and I promise you that I will write nothing about it until you've published your report. Goodbye for the present. You will find me at the gate at twelve. The cold, clear air was filled with the musical chimes from that city of clocks as Berger, wrapped in an Italian overcoat with a lantern hanging from his hand, walked up to the rendezvous. Kennedy stepped out of the shadow to meet him. "'You are ardent in work as well as in love,' said the German, laughing. "'A German? Laughing? It's quite a thing. "'Yes,' I've been waiting here for nearly half an hour. I hope you left no clue as to where we were going. Not such a fool. By Jove, I am chilled to the bone. Come on, Berger, let us warm ourselves up by a spurt of hard walking. Their footsteps sounded loud and crisp upon the rough stone paving of the disappearing road, which is all that is left of the most famous highway of the world. A peasant or two going home from the wine shop, and a few carts of country produce coming up to Rome were the only things which they met. They swung along with the huge tombs looming up through the darkness upon each side of them until they had come as far as the catacombs of St. Callistus. And let's see what he was saint of. He doesn't ring a bell. Um, oh, he's a pope. Bishop of Rome from circa 218 AD to his death, circa 222 or 223. Uh, he lived during the reigns of the Roman emperors Elagabalus and Alexander Severus. Eusebius and the Liberian catalog gave him five years of episcopate, which must mean serving a term as pope, but, uh, no, the office or term of office of a bishop. Okie doke. Lots to learn. Uh, as far as St. Callistus and... Somewhere near Amontillado, I suspect. And saw against a rising moon the great circular bastion of Cecilia Metalla in front of them. Now, that one I might recognize by sight. Let's see. Because Rome was a while ago. But now I wouldn't swear to it. It looks like a ruin of something. Uh, then Berger stopped with his hand to his side. Your legs are longer than mine, and you are more accustomed to walking, said he, laughing. I think that the place where we turn off is somewhere here. Yes, this is it, round the corner of the Trattoria. Now, or, now, it is a very narrow path, so perhaps I had better go in front and you can follow. He had lit his lantern, and by its light they were enabled to follow a narrow and devious track which wound across the marches of the Campania. The great aqueduct of old Rome lay like a monstrous caterpillar across the moonlit landscape, and their road led them under one of its huge arches, and past the circle of crumbling bricks, which marks the old arena. At last, Berger stopped at a solitary wooden cowhouse, and he drew a key from his pocket. Surely your catacomb is not inside a house, cried Kennedy. The entrance to it is. That is just the safeguard which we have against 
anyone else discovering it. Does the proprietor know of it? Not he. He has found one or two objects which made me almost certain that his house was built on the entrance to such a place. So I rented it from him and did my excavations for myself. Come in and shut the door behind you. It was a long, empty building with the mangers of the cows along one wall. Berger put his lantern down on the ground and shaded its light in all directions save one by draping his overcoat round it. It might excite remark if anyone saw a light in this lonely place, said he. Just help me to move this boarding. The flooring was loose in the corner, and plank by plank the two savants raised it and leaned against the wall. Below, there was a square aperture and a stair of old stone steps which led away down into the bowels of the earth. Be careful, cried Berger, as Kennedy, in his impatience, hurried down them. It is a perfect rabbit's warren below, and if you were once to lose your way there, the chances would be a hundred to one against your ever coming out again. Wait until I bring the light. How do you find your own way if it's so complicated? I had some very narrow escapes at first, but I have gradually learned to go about. There is a certain system to it, but it is one which a lost man, if he were in the dark, could not possibly find out. Even now, I always spin out a ball of string behind me when I am going far into the catacomb. You can see for yourself that it is difficult, but every one of these passages divides and subdivides a dozen times before you go a hundred yards. Yeah. They had descended some twenty feet from the level of the buyer, and I believe that's a thesaurus word for a stable. Cowshed. B-Y-R-E. Scrabble fans out there. And they were standing now in a square chamber cut out of the soft tufa, T-U-F-A. Also, from context, you can... Oh, no, that is important. A porous rock composed of calcium carbonate and formed by precipitation from water, e.g. around mineral springs. And uh, it's a kind of limestone. It's what... uh, catacombs uh the kind of rock you find in there or it's carved out of whatever not carved out of you know it's 404 a.m <laughs> the lantern cast a flickering light bright below and dim above over the cracked brown walls in every direction were the black openings of passages which radiated from this common center. I want you to follow me closely, my friend, said Berger. Do not loiter to look at anything upon the way, for the place to which I will take you contains all that you can see and more. It will save time for us to go there direct. He led the way down one of the corridors, and the Englishman followed closely at his heels. Every now and then, the passage bifurcated, but Berger was evidently following some secret marks of his own, for he neither stopped nor hesitated. Everywhere along the walls, packed like the birds upon an emigrant ship, that's E-M, meaning a ship uh, leaving, not an immigrant ship, lay the Christians of old Rome. The yellow light flickered over the shriveled faces, the shriveled features of the mummies, and gleamed upon rounded skulls and long white arm bones crossed over fleshless chests. And everywhere as he passed, Kennedy looked with wistful eyes upon inscriptions, funeral vessels, pictures, vestments, utensils, all lying as pious hands had placed them so many centuries ago. It was apparent to him, even in those hurried passing glances, 
that this was the earliest and finest of the catacombs, containing such a storehouse of Roman remains as had never before come at one time under the observation of the student. What would happen if this light went out, he asked as they hurried onwards, and speaking, this is me saying, but in my mind's eye, speaking softly because the strange echoes in the catacombs. Uh, I have a spare candle and a box of matches in my pocket. By the way, Kennedy, have you any matches? No, you'd better give me some. Oh, that is all right. There's no chance of our separating. How far are we going? It seems to me that we have walked at least a quarter of a mile. More than that, I think. There is really no limit to the tombs. At least, I have never been able to find any. This is a very difficult place, so I think that I'll use our ball of string. He fastened one end of it to a projecting stone, and he carried the coil in the breast of his coat, paying it out as he advanced. Kennedy saw that it was no unnecessary precaution, for the passages had become more complex and tortuous than ever, with a perfect network of intersecting corridors. But these all ended in one large circular hall with a square pedestal of tufa topped with a slab of marble at one end of it. By Jove, cried Kennedy in an ecstasy as Berger swung his lantern over the marble, and this would be a weird-ass place to be on ecstasy. Just, if you were there with a sack of burgers and some, I don't know, whatever form of ecstasy would go best on your burger, I guess. Uh, I have no idea. It is a Christian altar, probably the first one in existence, just like the letter funnel. Just, uh, it's a bit of a jump. Here's the little consecration cross cut upon the corner of it. No doubt this circular space was used as a church. Precisely, said Berger. If I had more time, I should like to show you all the bodies which are buried in these niches upon the wall, for they are the early popes and bishops of the church, with their mitres, their croziers, and full canonicals. Go over to that one and look at it. Kennedy went across and stared at the ghastly head which lay loosely on the shredded and moldering mitre. This is most interesting, said he, and his voice seemed to boom against the concave vault. As far as my experience goes, it is unique. Bring the lantern over, Berger, for I want to see them all. But the German had strolled away and was standing in the middle of a yellow circle of light at the other side of the hall. "'Do you know how many wrong turnings there are between this and the stairs?' he asked. "'There are over two thousand. "'No doubt it was one—oh, I think I see where this is going. "'No doubt it was one of the means of protection which the Christians adopted. "'The odds are two thousand to one against a man getting out— even if he had a light, but if he were in the dark, it would, of course, be far more difficult. So I should think. And the darkness is something dreadful. I tried it once for an experiment. Let us try it again. He stooped to the lantern, and in an instant, it was as if an invisible hand was squeezed tightly over each of Kennedy's eyes. And if you're listening to this, I invite you to close your eyes and turn off all the lights and just uh, find yourself in that space. Sudden, total darkness. Never had he known what such darkness was. Such. It seemed to press upon him and to smother him. It was a solid obstacle against which the body shrank from advancing. He put his hands out to push it back from him. That will do, Berger, said he. Let's have the light again. And on the other side of the sound effect, or transition, we'll find out light.
It is 4.14 a.m. and we are cruising. 14 a.m. of the 18th of April, 2020. And the sound effect you just heard was called Nervous Wisp. I believe I just saw it, uh, which seems apt with this story. But to continue with the suspense... Oh, and I said, I just said, I think I see where this is going. I read these stories, uh, a lot of the Conan Doyle stuff I'm reading. I read some number of years ago, and I have a very solid memory for stories and for... Uh, fiction better than I do for uh, a lot of stuff with people or streets or numbers and <laughs> uh, nobody needs to know uh, directions on a road trip or anything soon but uh, but I have uh, seizure disorder TLE you know uh, epilepsy thing got it under control, but, uh, I've had a number of seizures, not for a while, in Kanahora, not again soon, or whatever, but, uh, but I read these stories at some point, and I remember bits and pieces, or this jamais vu thing I've spoken about before, but the, uh, the opposite of deja vu when you're seeing something that you know you've seen but it feels unfamiliar so in a funny in a sort of uh weird blessing or just a strangeness as I'm reading all of these stories uh they are somewhat new to me again. So, let's have the light again. But his companion began to laugh, and in that circular room, the sound seemed to come from every side at once. You seem uneasy, friend Kennedy, said he. Go on, man, light the candle, said Kennedy impatiently. Excuse me. It's very strange, Kennedy, but I could not in the least tell by the sound in which direction you stand. Could you tell me where I am? No, you seem to be on every side of me. If it were not for this string which I hold in my hand, I should not have a notion which way to go. I dare say not. Strike a light, man, and have an end to this nonsense. Well, Kennedy, there are two things which I understand you are very fond of. The one is an adventure, and the other is an obstacle to surmount. The adventure must be the finding of your way out of this catacomb. The obstacle will be the darkness, and the two thousand wrong turns, which make the way a little difficult to find. But you need not hurry, for you have plenty of time, and when you have a halt, when you halt for a rest now and then, I should like you to just to think of Miss Mary Saunderson and whether you treated her quite fairly. You devil, what do you mean? roared Kennedy. He was running about in little circles and clasping at the solid blackness with both hands. Goodbye, said the mocking voice, and it was already at some distance. I really do not think, Kennedy even by your own showing that you did the right thing by that girl. There was only one little thing which you appeared not to know, and I can supply it. Miss Saunderson was engaged to a poor, ungainly devil of a student, and his name was Julius Berger. There was a rustle somewhere, the vague sound of a foot striking a stone, and then there fell silence upon that old Christian church. A stagnant, 
heavy silence which closed round Kennedy and shut him in like water round a drowning man. Some two months afterwards, the following paragraph made the round of the European press. One of the most interesting discoveries of recent years is that of the new catacomb in Rome, which lies some distance to the east of the well-known vaults of St. Calixtus. The finding of this important burial place, which is exceedingly rich in most interesting early Christian remains, is due to the energy and sagacity of Dr. Julius Berger, the young German specialist, who is rapidly taking the first place as an authority upon ancient Rome. Although the first to publish his discovery, it appears that a less fortunate adventurer had anticipated Dr. Berger. Some months ago, Mr. Kennedy, the well-known English student, disappeared suddenly from his rooms in the Corso, and it was conjectured that his association with a recent scandal had driven him to leave Rome. It appears now that he had in reality fallen a victim to that fervid love of archaeology which had raised him to a distinguished distinguished place among living scholars. His body was discovered in the heart of the new catacomb, and it was evident from the condition of his feet and boots that he had tramped for days through the torturous corridors which make these subterranean tombs so dangerous to explorers. The deceased gentleman had, with inexplicable rashness, made his way into this labyrinth without as far as can be discovered, taking with him either candles or matches, so that his sad fate was the natural result of his own temerity. What makes the matter more painful is that Dr. Julius Berger was an intimate friend of the deceased. His joy at the extraordinary find which he has been so fortunate as to make has been greatly marred by the terrible fate of his comrade and fellow worker. Sob. Sob, sob, sob story. Ah, these are fun. Uh, it is 4.21 a.m. And that was the last segment was a short one. Uh, but... And I don't really have anything much to uh, say about it except that I can't express and I only spent like, you know, half hour, hour, whatever the scheduled tour was that we did there. But even with a guide and the string through the place and like 20 kids at least all on this tour, if you stopped or, like, looked down a different passageway, they said, like, don't let go of the line or don't, you know, lose sight of whatever because you could actually turn and then take a turn and then be uh, gone. And it was a spooky friggin' place and it's cold down there. Um, and of course, if you're familiar with Edgar Allan Poe, uh, this story has a resemblance to, I don't want to spoil it in case, uh, you have some curiosity, whatever, but, uh, uh, but if you know it, you know the story, uh, The next story, I'm still feeling like I'm just cruising and shit. Uh, I might just start on the case of Lady Sanox, uh, which is S-A-N-N-O-X. I think I should start it fresh as a fresh uh, story. But, you know, I might as well actually end this story by uh, giving y'all... Uh, 
teaser, or actually a reason to check out another recording. That's a clever idea that I, you know, uh, no forethought, just coming out this moment, but there's an idea next time on. So next time on audiobook podcast bedtime stories from quarantine, this whole thing, (laughs) the case of Lady Sanox. The relations between Douglas Stone and the notorious Lady Sanox were very well known, both among the fashionable circles of which she was a brilliant member and the scientific bodies which numbered him among their most illustrious confreres. There uh, was naturally, therefore, a very widespread interest when it was announced one morning that the lady had absolutely and forever taken the veil and the world would see her no more. Uh, And I believe that means had gone to a nunnery. Uh, When at the very tail end of this rumor, there came the assurance that the celebrated operating surgeon, the man of steel nerves, had been found in the morning by his valet, seated on one side of his bed, smiling pleasantly upon the universe, with both legs jammed into one side of his breeches, and his great brain about as valuable as a cap of porridge. The matter was strong enough to give quite a little thrill of interest to folk who had never hoped that their jaded nerves were capable of such a sensation. And... Whatever exactly uh, he has done, like I said, I am pretty sure, you know, I I know I read this not that long ago, but it's it's like the catacombs, thinking back of uh, 2011. 2012, just about, when I found all the other than Holmes stories and went through a bunch of this, the horror stories and the uh, Brigadier Gerard and the Lost World and Professor Challenger, so many great stories, to say nothing of Captain Sharkey, whose stories I have already recorded and highly recommend uh whether you hear them from me or if you want to look in the podcast description you will find the link to this story and can discover others project gutenberg you can get it formatted for your kindle you can read it online uh if you have thoughts about them or suggestions for other public domain stuff to be reading and amplifying You can find me on Twitter at Time of Posting and wherever and whenever this is reaching you. I hope that you are safely quarantined and remain so. So be well. Zygazunt.